You're listening to the Mind Body Musings Podcast, the show where you can learn the most intricate details about the body, the mind, and how lifestyle choices link the two to create individual health for every shape and size. I'm fitness and nutrition expert Maddie Moon, here to enlighten you on how to live your life in a way that promotes satiation, thrivation, and self-appreciation. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, what's up everybody? Maddie Moon here with yet again another episode of Mind Body Musings. This is going to be episode 18 and I'm just starting to realize how truly blessed and fortunate I am to have followers and listeners for this show. When you start a podcast, it kind of just seems like a dream or a vision that you would like to see happen. It's truly incredible when you start to receive more and more positive reviews, emails, and guest requests. So a huge thank you to each and every one of you that takes the time to download the show and give it a listen. So today I'm really excited to introduce our guest, Lee Peel. You may know her as the author of the Fat Loss Troubleshoot, Starve Mode, or the cookbook titled Body by Eats. Lee is a trainer, author, and coach for those that want to improve the quality of their life, body, and or mindset. Though she specializes in fat loss, she understands the different psychological aspects to physical transformations and has learned how to coach her clients through the different layers. Lee is very passionate about blending together the science of fat loss with the emotional aspect of body acceptance. Lee is also the co-host of the FitCast podcast and can be found at leepeel.com. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Lee. What an intro. An intro. I feel so honored to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so excited. I know that we have planned to have this podcast for a while now, so it's exciting to see it actually pull together. It, it, it the anticipation. It's only going to make it better. I know. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> the first time we tried to get this going, you went to Europe, correct? Oh, see, sure? <laughs> plugging that, you just automate me, automatically make me sound better and cooler than I am. Um, <laughs> so really I, appre- cool. I appreciate that. Really yes, cool. I went to Europe. It was amazing. It was fantastic. I went to London. Oh my I went gosh. to London and it was fantastic. And I want to move there and I've been dreaming of going back ever since. I can't even imagine. What were you doing? Were you doing like health stuff? Were you talking? Were you just visiting? And I, I was recuperating a little bit. Nice. I was recuperating a little. I was doing a little bit of soul searching. I was riding on double, double decker buses and going to museums and looking at art and shows and saw a lot of concerts and basically just um, going solo and having a little oh, me time. Wow. It was it was really, it was absolutely fantastic. I, I couldn't have enjoyed myself more. Yeah. I it was love at first sight with the city. I fell in love with the city. I dated the city. We're, we're dating. It's a long distance <laughs> relationship, but it's what's happening right now. That yeah. sounds yeah. romantic. That's my it, kind it, of boyfriend. It, it really, it was, uh, I couldn't ask for a better date. I really couldn't. So um, it was, it was fantastic. I loved it and uh, it spoiled me and um, yeah, and I, I really can't wait to go back. Well, good really. for you. Thank That's you. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Let's go ahead and get started. First things first, let's go to your background. And if you could just give us some insight about your journey and how you, you know, came to come to the conclusions that you have in starve mode and the fat loss troubleshoot and just rewind and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, All right. Uh, I try and do a little something different every time so that the, my, my lovely few, you know, five people that listen to all my same podcasts, um, (laughs) that they have something new to like, they don't hear the same thing over and over again. So, um, I, I, I grew up in North Carolina 
and um, I did not have any sort of intentions of going into the fitness industry. I kind of landed upon there um, by accident trying to get in shape myself. And um, I started posting on forums, and um, the short of that is some awesome people um, gave me a chance to have a public forum to speak on and to talk about health and fitness. And um, I've been lucky enough to not have too many I don't say this in any sort of cocky way. I have not had too many personal battles myself um, with uh, my own body as far as uh, as like weight loss. Uh, I've never been truly like very heavy or very thin or had any sort of like aggressive um, eating disorder, which I'm, I'm very lucky for that. Um, I If I have a problem, it's, it's not eating food. It's certainly because um, I like food a lot. Um, I have, uh, most of my... Uh, struggles have been uh, with any sort of body issues have been more in the area of health. <laughs> uh, I have a very special body in the sense of like allergies and and stuff like that um, and wanting to be stronger than I kind of am uh, and trying to push my body further than maybe sometimes it wants to go. Those are where my kind of issues come in but I would say and from looking at your page and looking at a lot of the people that you talk to um, where a lot of my self-acceptance has maybe come in is that uh, the challenges of being in this industry are um, that you kind of have to walk the walk and you have to talk the talk. And when you physically sometimes can't always meet certain expectations uh, because of your actual health or because of what you can, you know, physically accomplish, that can be very, um, can be very humbling and you, you don't really even realize how much you can be judged or judge yourself because of stuff like that. So, um, that has certainly been recent struggles and realizations and, uh, and, uh, and things like that. But, um, you know, so other than, other than maybe some, some personal physical battles uh, with my health and stuff, mostly I wrote my material because I liked to help people figure out their journey. And I really like being a problem solver. And I, uh, I had a lot of people that had a lot of problems that would come to me and say, please fix me. Please help me. And I would be like, I, I don't really know what to do yet, but I tell you what, I'll try and figure it out. And, um, and that's, that's really a lot of that came about was trying to answer people's questions. And um, most of my material, you can thank um, so many of my clients and so many of my readers who wrote in questions because they're absolutely who it was written for and how it all came about. So Star of Mo came about. It's a book that's based upon mostly refeeding and um, understanding metabolic behavior and metabolism myths and things like that. And it came about a lot because of women with eating disorders or recovering from eating disorders and stuff like that. A reverse dieting, of course, not in a technical medical sense, but in a tech of mindset and explanations. And then the Fat Loss Troubleshoot is really because people couldn't figure out how to lose weight. And so it's, it's a manual to help them figure out how to lose fat and uh, lose body fat. And I'm oversimplifying it, but those are the basic crutches of it. And um, I like helping people solve their problems. So that's a little bit, a little bit of a, a bio and a, a little bit of a start. And you can plug at me from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So wait, let's rewind way back. You're not from Canada. I always thought you were from Canada. <laughs> you, you thought I was from Canada? <laughs> yeah. And you're, you, I really feel like you have a Canadian accent. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so hilarious. Have, Are you, have serious? you ever had that before? No, no, but, but, um, lately I have been getting interesting accent comments because I used to have a really thick Southern, I mean, like, like y'all kind of really thick Southern, but that's all, but it's in a completely different way, sweetie. It is in a, (laughs) 
It is in a <laughs> country stop diner waitress kind of way that I used to say it. And uh, and I really have been, um, uh, when I started podcasting and I started doing everything, I was also wearing lingual braces, which this is completely unimportant to life. But they're braces that you wear on the inside of your mouth. Like, Ooh, I mean, inside so of your mouth. The inside, the, <laughs> the inside of your teeth, like where your tongue hits in the back of, so you cannot see them. And let me tell you, that really gives you a lisp. And it makes your southern drawl that much stronger. So, um, when I first started podcasting, my southern accent was extremely thick. And people gave me a very hard time for it. And lately, people are like, wait, where are you from? And they don't automatically guess the south. And I can't tell you how I'm a little... I'm a little proud. I mean, not that I hate the South or anything, but but uh, I'm a little proud that I've gotten a bit better with my speech. Yeah, your speech is great. I mean, I really <laughs> thought it was Canadian, so... That's awesome. That's, no one's ever said I sound like Canadian. I don't even know ethics. where that came from. That's <laughs> I love my Canadian folk, too. So <laughs> I, I, take that as a I take that as a compliment. I love my uh, Canadian. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Well, um, I guess what I want to ask you then is... Your, so your background's really interesting because you weren't planning on going into fitness, but people started just coming to you because you like to solve problems. And that's really interesting that you don't have like the necessary um, like health nope. as in like psychology like problems mm-hmm. like a lot of people do who get too lean and, and stuff like that. So how did people find you? You said it was through the public forum? I, uh, I was on a message board. I cannot remember the name of it right now, um, which is horrible. But I was on a message board for a long time, uh, and I they they put a sticky. You know what stickies are, but anyone listening that don't know what a sticky is, um, or you might know what a sticky is, uh, it's where a, a forum has had a, a particular bit of information that they deemed as being important that everyone that comes to the site should see all the time. So it's mm-hmm. always at the top of like a thread, mm. like it's always at the top of a section of a forum. So um, they put a sticky up in that forum of the fat loss troubleshoot where I answered a few important questions to where, oh, if if you're not having success, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Do this, not that, et cetera. And, um, and people really responded to the sticky and I got a lot of private messages. Hey, are you training people? Can you take me on as a client? And it, it just kind of, there was something about there's something about me, and I find this true in life um, that is very <laughs> I have a lot of authority leader type nature in me. It's just natural, I guess um, or maybe maybe I'm more uh, ball busting than I wish to admit. but I, mm-hmm. I, I, I have I have that kind of I guess nature in me, and so a lot of people came to me for their problems and answer their questions. But what mostly ended up coming about and where I think my my uh, niche was kind of uh, made is a lot of the women who ran into problems with gaining weight uh, in quote unquote in a deficit uh, or having problems with losing weight despite of what they felt uh, they were hitting a deficit in um, these kinds of problems that were coming about. These women were coming to me and I was like, okay, at first I thought, well, you're just not eating, you know, you're, you're eating too too much. You need to cut back on your calories. Uh, these kind of basic things that popped into my brain. But then I, I realized that when I monitored people or or when I took things on a deeper level and, and particularly very type A, very serious, dedicated kind of women, the, the kind of women that, and I don't, I don't mean this the way it's going to sound, but 
the kind of women that you know that laziness or lack of calculation was not a problem. <laughs> These women knew exactly what they were doing. They knew what was going in their mouth by the gram. They knew what their activity was on the dot as much as possible. And we so like things. me and a lot of these listeners. Yeah, yeah. You know, like very like like type A. They know they they're not messing around. They're yeah. going after their goals. And these women were having a problem. And um and these women kind of became my uh, obsession and trying to figure out what why they couldn't achieve what it was they wanted to achieve and and why simple if you will quote unquote simple advice was not working for them uh was starting to 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 get at me it was starting to bug me mostly because i'm competitive and i like to be right i'm just being completely honest i like to figure out problems i like to understand what's happening so it it was bugging me that i could not figure out what their problems were and that i could not help them and they were so frustrated and scared and and um i don't think that there's I don't think that a lot of people, I, I will say men too, not that this can't apply to men, but I think, I think particularly for women, um, the pressure of being not just low in, in body fat, uh, but, but also being um, not thick, not bloated, not looking as if that, uh, looking as if that they're not lazy and that their efforts are not in vain and having all that, all that hard work and all that um, problem and strife and, and the outcome being so the opposite of what they expect to have happen or in some ways what they feel they deserve to have happen, it, it can break people. I mean, I'm, I've seen it break people. I've seen it really, I've seen it literally take lives. So um, it, it really got to me. And I, well, I, I, and I'm, I always am honest about this. Why, why personally, no, I, I did not have a struggle with it myself. And, and some have even gotten kind of irritated with that, to be perfectly honest, that, that I'm not, I'm not a former uh, competition person who, who had, you know, their off and on problems or whatnot with that. Uh, while I did not have that personal struggle, I care so much about the struggle. And I tried to do the best I could to understand what people were going through and what was bothering them. And it was in that that I started realizing um, everything that encompasses what happens when you diet down, what happens when you refeed, what happens when you take breaks, when you don't take breaks, what happens when you overtrain, things that happen, the electrolyte uh, system in the body, uh, water retention issues, hormones, you name it. Because it's not just learning about one thing. It is literally having to understand uh, Massive amount of biology textbooks and in different realms and different levels and and different intricacies. So it's a it became an obsession of a topic and 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 one that I I believe the obsession paid off because I, I really started to understand how to manipulate um, body composition for for good and for how to get people to getting back on their feet again, so to speak, and getting healthy and really working smarter, not harder. Um, but, right. but, you know, so, so that, that's kind of, while I do work in fat loss and help the general population person and, and I do, and I help people with life transformation, I will say, and to this day, my kind of, um, my heart, my rest and my little special place is for those girls and for guys as well. I don't, I don't mean to just be gender specific, but it is a very, it is a very female heavy, uh, uh, central area, but, but for those, for those people who are suffering from those issues, those are kind of who I, I, I feel the need to keep doing this for the most. They're the one that get me through the hard times, if yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great, and I, I I think it's important to point out that there's definitely like the the fat loss need for some people that are like let's say morbidly obese or yes. in trouble, people who like really need 
to to lose weight for their longevity or for, for their health. Yes. And then there are the people who are a perfectly normal weight and mm -hmm. who just have the the desire to be leaner for, I mean, whatever reason. And there's absolutely no judgment there for anyone who wants to do that. But it's really important to recognize where that desire is coming from and make main, like maintainable goals. Like, you know, have an achievable goal that you can maintain so that you're not constantly in the cycle of wanting to lean out, putting on weight, wanting to lean out, putting on weight, and kind of just coming to this equilibrium state where you're, you feel good, you're eating well, um, clean, nourishing foods, and you can function. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost with this ideal um, body in their minds, and then things happen. They, they diet, or they, you know, they hurt themselves, or they get upset all the time, and they're distracted from living life. And it's really important to make that distinction. I'm sure you've had to deal this with a lot of clients that have unrealistic goals when they are, you know, great looking and like they're healthy and they deserve that happiness and there's no real crazy reason for them to be leaning out a ton especially <laughs> doing this crazy dieting that our society is telling us we should do oh yeah yeah i mean um yeah i i never understood the term dysmorphia until i i entered into this industry oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i never understood it as a concept um and i i didn't really uh and and I've stated this before on on other interviews or whatnot, but I I, I am not your stereotypical female uh, in the sense of I grew up very tomboyish. Um, I cared more about being strong, or to be perfectly honest, how well I could fight versus how cute I looked in like an outfit that's when awesome. I was young. When I was young, you know, that's that's kind of it. Took I I was a bit of a late bloomer in the aspect of those kinds of things, and um, so for me. I never really understood that mentality of a of a fifteen year old girl like really caring about like what the next like seventeen magazine said like i just i I never lived in that world um I understood it in a sense of like that it existed but i I did not experience it myself uh, that that wasn't me i mean, I mean when I, when I was fifteen i I literally had the lip liner and the plaid button up shirt and i was I was like hanging out with gang members like you, dead serious you know, always, dead serious it always so, makes me wonder like where how that happens like how some girls are obsessed with 17 magazine and like are obsessed with their body and then there's other girls that are completely not and like we're well, we're in the same world so how does we, that happen we are, we are very much you know well you know i grew up i grew up in a very I, I grew up in a very kind of um, poor area, very kind of ghetto lifestyle. I really did. Um, I, I I had a very I had a very unique and very difficult childhood. And in that, uh, my responsibilities and my fears and worried have nothing to do with fashion. Nothing. They had to do with survival. They really did. That was my focus when wow. I was a kid. So, so for me. I kind of avoided. Like I grew up very fast. I had to take care of myself very young, and I very much avoided. A lot of those kind of stereotypical things, what I find to be fascinating when I talk about somewhat to, to people that I know close, I was never really concerned about how I looked until I joined the fitness industry. I was ah, never yeah. really concerned with my appearance to some degree, like how I was being judged until I realized that I was. Because no one ever really, like I'm, I'm not an overly um, girly girl, um, I don't compete with like I'm not one of those women that like compete with other women you know like that it's just not my it's just not in my nature at all like I I I've always gotten by on my personality I'm not saying that I'm I'm massively unattractive but I I get by on like an x factor versus like 
what I feel is like a generic stereotypical appearance. Like I, I wasn't blessed with like the greatest hair or genetics or skin or nose or, you know, and I, I so for me, like I got by on a very different kind of thing. So physical attractiveness, I knew I wasn't going to really get glorified for that. I'm just being like completely honest. I mean, I've never really said this before on a public podcast. So you're getting something I've never said, but I've never really, I knew that that was not going to be an accolade I received. I was not going to be like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. Like you're so pretty. Like that, I knew that wasn't coming my way. So I kind of knew that I had to be smart or I had to be funny. I, I didn't really think that my body was going to be what I was judged on until, so funny enough, <laughs> when I got healthy and I got surrounded by all these healthy people and all these like great mindsets and, and strong people, my body fat level comes into question my strength comes at my level of muscle comes into question i i remember i had put up a picture this was just for um uh accountability i just put it up for accountability i put up a picture and my muscle level was not up to par with what people thought my muscle level should be i was too skinny fat and i was like wow really like this was kind of a little consensus i was getting knocked i was getting knocked and um and then some people randomly would make comments about how my body looked and how i looked too soft or i did not look as if that i was um, a lifter enough i did not look tough enough i didn't look like i was a lifter enough um and i found that to be fascinating and yeah i mean it 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 messed with my head in the sense of um i thought oh my god my job how i make my money how i feed myself is at jeopardy because of how i look interesting huh that i for me for someone who who cared about arts and intellect and and intelligence and all these kinds of things that is what could put interesting because this my my face being my money maker was not something that i ever thought my body being like my money like that's not that's not the avenue i was going to go down so so, you know, between how I grew up and, and between my kind of expectations, I, I didn't see that coming. And it, and it, put, me into, it put me in touch with, with a different kind of fear and a different kind of mindset that I, I never really experienced before. And I started to understand the girls that obsess over the 17 magazines a little bit more. And I started to understand that different kind of mentality and the pressures of, of what a female looks like. I didn't really understand all that. Not really. Not not really. I never really thought about it. And I didn't really understand it until it kind of got turned on me a little bit. And and I joined this industry. And, and I saw things for kind of how they were in a different way. Because in my mind, I was never judged for stuff like that. That wasn't important. I didn't really understand it to be. And uh, and, and so it's it's been interesting how in the past you know, five to, to seven years or whatnot, it's really... It's really done a number on how I view things and, and being a female in general in the industry and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's very interesting because I just, I never looked at those things. And uh, it, gives me a different, it gives me a different perspective and it certainly gives me a different level of compassion in my work as well. Yeah, that's like, there's, there's so much meat in there. Like that's like, <laughs> there's so much that I just want to like touch on. But like, first of all, you are a gorgeous woman. So I'm <laughs> going to have your picture in this post and you're gorgeous. So it's pretty, it's pretty awesome that you didn't even look at yourself though and say like, wow, I'm going to be recognized for my looks. And that's probably like a blessing in disguise because yes, you are gorgeous. But second of all, you were like, okay, well, I'm going to be smart and I'm going to be like, you know, badass and I'm going to be confident because I have a lot to, 
to be confident about because I'm smart, you know, and I'm funny or whatever. And like, I, I just so wish that so many other women at that age could think like that. And we're never going to look at ourselves, even the most beautiful person in the world is not going to look at themselves and say, I am the most beautiful person in the world. There's going to be some kind of insecurity there. But most people, instead of saying, you know, I'm not the most beautiful person, instead of saying like, I'm going to go, you know, learn more about science and like write books and start my own business. Instead, they're going to be like, well, I'll just go get a boob job or I'll just yeah. lose 10 pounds or I'll just, you know, start bodybuilding or I'll just go find a man and settle with him because yeah. you know, I might oh, as well yeah. get married. So it's like, yes, because the, that's all we're worth for anyway. Right, right? Exactly. Yeah. And like today's just it's it's heartbreaking how many women don't see an alternative outside of the external things like we're losing touch with the ability to be confident strong women and to go after our businesses and create dreams and instead we're kind of like you know not everyone obviously but a lot of women are like well if I can't be you know if my face can't be the most amazing thing maybe I can make my body body the most amazing yeah thing. Well, it's something we can control exactly. and that, that control is an illusion and it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. And I have seen so many people try to compensate with, well, maybe I'm not the prettiest girl in the world or maybe I'm not the richest girl or whatever. And, and they try and compensate with having the lowest body fat or being the most conditioned. And it is, it is, it is a battle. You are, you're not going to win. It is, it is the wrong, you're entering into the wrong race and the wrong competition because um, what people fail to understand time and time again about body manipulation, and, and this is something that can actually help rather than me just, you know, getting all philosophical on your podcast, but what people fail to <laughs> realize about like body composition and manipulation is the last thing the body likes is stress. Does not like mm -hmm. it doesn't like it it doesn't like being put under extreme stressful conditions it doesn't like it in the aspect of emotional distress it doesn't like it in the aspect of physical distress and um you will look your worst with putting yourself under extreme physical strain no sleep poor you know nutrition or um even if you th it could be in your mind the cleanest nutrition in the world but that doesn't mean it's right it doesn't mean it's enough either and um and when you put your body under continual stress and and you overstrain it and you you overwork it uh, mixed with worrying and crying and getting on the scale and fighting with yourself you will never look worse you will never look and you might be able to outsmart it for a little bit you might be able to outsmart it for a little bit and you might be able to get away with it, but eventually it'll catch up with you. Eventually it will. And when it does, it'll pay back for you in a physical being. And so I always, always tell people, I'm like, I'm telling you, if you really want to look your best, I assure you it is not running yourself into the ground. Because that is not as gonna, what going to make you look best. It's not. You know, you might be able to have some good days here or there where you've tricked yourself into thinking that doing this is going to lead you to the path that you want. But eventually it'll catch up and, and it'll catch up in faster and sneakier than you think. And, and in other ways that you don't even suspect in, in mental stability and in, in your relationships. It's not even just... Um, the things that affect you physically, but it, but it absolutely will affect you physically. And I always tell people, if you really care about your vanity, if vanity is something you really care about, then taking care of yourself should absolutely be the first factor mm -hmm. of that situation. Because um, trying to, to run yourself into the ground is, is a one-way ticket into not truly not enjoying uh, your physical being because you will, you will absolutely show that rundownness. Eventually it, it will catch up with you. So um, it's just sad what people try to achieve or try to control. And um, 
and I really do believe and and I find it to also be successful so it's not just just something that's a saying I really do believe that you should you should do things smarter not harder I believe that you should take care of yourself I believe you should be very paced and I believe that the the quickest route to getting what it is that you desire is by having a very moderate outlook on uh, the things that you do in, di- in diet and training and things like that and, and you'll get where you want to get faster. Yeah, and that, that kind of leads us into like the Starve Mode book and I kind of want you to just describe the prime example of someone that is in Starve Mode and then kind of like the initial top five tips you would give someone to get out of Starve Mode and like or slash things that you should look out for sure. and change. You know what I'm saying? Sure. No, no, I totally understand. I, If I may real quick, I, I want to clarify for someone listening what I consider that to be because it is it is uh, what like starvation mode or what have you is because a lot of people I don't think still kind of understand that as a concept. Um, starvation mode is, is something or adaptation. I like to call it metabolic adaptation because technically that is what we're discussing. Starvation mode is kind of a, it is a coin term that um, it's not wrong per se because it is something that's like taking place. But I feel that, um, I feel that it does have a little bit of a, a stigma to it. But, but basically whenever we go into a deficit, the short of it is uh, you have to metabolically adapt to some degree. That's the only way you can lose body fat is to adapt. Um, you have to have changes in your hormones. You have to have changes in um, levels of glycogen, of, uh, of water levels in the body. You, you have actual alterations in stomach uh, size. Like All of these adaptations take place because you're losing body fat, and, and it's what triggers you to actually lose body fat, so you have to have these adaptations. What happens over time? If you keep going or, or are too aggressive, these adaptations can get kind of more aggressive. Uh, they can become more problematic. They can start to really deplete uh, everything from mental stability to uh, physical strength um, to even getting um, bigger and deeper into like uh, bone health. And, and, uh, and eventually, if, if it goes into a stage of extreme unhealthiness, anorexia, things like that, it, it can lead to death. So, um, Obviously, those are extreme cases, but, but it's, it is an adaptation to the lack of eating food. That's, that's what happens. Um, in order to, to keep at bay, <laughs> if you will, in order to keep at bay the worst parts of metabolic adaptation or the things in which that we don't want to deal with as a dieter or as someone who's trying to manipulate body composition, in order to keep this stuff at bay, you have to kind of outthink it. You have to outsmart it and in some ways just understand that your body can only do so much and there are times in which that you need to take um, nutritional efforts or training efforts or even uh, maintenance efforts and things like that to offset these adaptations that take place. So that you can continue on uh, your journey to achieve what it is you want to achieve. So that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to always keep an optimal uh, metabolic rate as much as possible for those adaptations to not get too large. For the negative side effects from dieting to not get bad or as as bad as they can get. For our energy levels to be good, for our... um, metabolic rates to not slow as much as possible due to things that uh, may not be on our control versus the things that that we really can't control like change in actual body weight or change in the thermic effect of food like the amount of food we eat these things are going to happen we know it but maybe our uh, subconscious activity or how aggressive we are in activity uh, how much expenditure we have in our training these things we can help so they don't drop as much all that kind of stuff the things that we can affect positively we want to affect positively so 
Uh, how do we do that? Number one, and one of the most important things, is um, to set up uh, intermittent breaks whenever uh, you start into a dieting phase. Now, this can really vary. Uh, based upon what an individual needs and based upon what their goals are. And, and um, to say that there is one route is, is not correct. A lot of, a lot of uh, practitioners or gurus or what have you, they will, they will tell people, well, if you, if you diet for more than this amount of time, you're going to uh, start gaining fat instead of losing weight or you're going to go into an extreme state of uh, metabolic adaptation or starvation move that is unhealthy. That is not true. Um, different people have different courses that they can take. What you need to look at as an individual is uh, how you react to a deficit state. So you need to say to yourself, um, how quickly do I start to feel run down when I go into a deficit? How large of a daily deficit can I hit with the kind of training that I'm doing um, in which I, I don't start to feel bad or, or run down or get too weak? Do I have any sort of uh, numbers changing in my lifts? Am, am I starting to have any sort of issues or problem with insomnia? If I do, how long in a deficit until those kinds of things kick in? There are a lot of little things to kind of pay attention to, but, but that, is, that is the point. You should pay attention to how you feel. Write a journal. Keep things written down. Um, kind of make note of, of when you start to truly kind of get worn. Some people can go for an extended amount of time on a moderate deficit without getting very worn down. And they do very good at compliance with not going off and on, off and on, off and on. Because sometimes cycling up or having high days even just during the week or weekend can even be triggering or cause problems with their compliance issues. Um, sometimes just the rebound hypoglycemia or the, the rebound effects of like eating more can be a bit harsh and they have a harder time controlling or diving back into the diet, especially when we're at a vanity point when it is not remotely necessary for physical well-being, but just we're trying to achieve body comp needs. These kind of things you might want to put off if you have a problem with it and see how long you can stretch it, but of course in a healthy way. So you need to look at your situation, what you know of yourself from dieting history in the past. We usually have some sort of, it's very rare that someone listening to this has never done any sort of deficit or hasn't embarked in something um, during the course of their lifetime. So look at what kind of history you have or write down the notes of how you're doing in a deficit and see where these things are at and set up intermittently, be it every four weeks, be it every six weeks, um, some sort of break. The longer span of time that you're in a deficit, and this is the moneymaker right here, but the longer span of time you're in a deficit, the longer the break needs to be. And it is that simple. And the reason we do this is, is because it, it ensures um, the rebound effect of our met metabolic behavior. Uh, it makes sure that we're not shortchanging ourselves. It gives time for any sort of slight metabolic adaptations that were in play to kind of raise themselves back up. And ensures that when we restart a new deficit cycle that we're in a primed fed place. There are absolute arguments and uh, differences for each individual for how long it takes for one individual to kind of get back to a place of where you would say you're kind of um, at, a, at a, a maintenance point or at a completely like reset point. It, it is not something we can measure with any sort of device anywhere. It is a little bit how you're feeling, how you're sleeping, everything's good, and mixed with some logic and understanding that your activity level is right and all that kind of stuff, which I'll, I'll get into. But um, the amount of time that you need to go into that break really needs to be relevant to the amount of deficit and how harsh that deficit has been along with training and things like that. If you've really been pushing training and really been pushing a deficit, you need more recovery time. You need more break time and, and, and you need to really take those kinds of things into account. If it 
seems as if that this isn't very advanced because I'm not giving specific numbers per timeline, I assure you that that is kind of, I'm not saying that we can't do it. And I'm not saying that I don't lay out things specific in a book because I do just to give people that kind of comfort. But I would be lying and anybody else would be lying if we had any sort of research that pointed to very specific numbers, dates, and times about any of these things for each individual. It is very different. What we can look at is these combining factors of health and markers and things like that, that, that can tell us, well, you know, I think I'm in a good spot. And a lot of those things are very simply, um, just a good amount of time of being fed in a maintenance state with a good amount of mixed macronutrient intake. And, and it really does simple, simplify that. So number one, or, or the most important is taking breaks during that period of time, um, of, of dieting and deficiting. And you can kind of look at it as, uh, you know, three to five days for every, uh, you know, if you're, for example, you're doing like four weeks uh, of, a, of a straight deficit, you would do, you know, five to seven days of, of a break. It's a really simplistic way of looking at it, um, but it just assures that you're covered. The longer that you do, just add on that time. Uh, there's a free chart and a post that talks about this on my website. If you type in leap pill starvation mode, it'll take you right there. You can look at the break chart. You can look at the reasonings for it and even more detailed of that as well. And it's free. You do not have to buy the book for that. Um, so uh, you, that is very important. And I think it's the most important thing because what we are taught uh, is we're taught that we're supposed to diet down and to get the weight, to get the weight off, to get the weight off, to get the weight off, and then... Uh, keep it off and never let it come back on. So number two, or what I think is secondly most important, is understanding uh, that you're going to put weight back on uh, and that physical weight has to occur on some sort of level when you come out of things. And this may not seem like a, something that should be like a tip or a number two or a part of things, but I think that it, it is very important because if you're not realistic about what's supposed to happen, you're going to freak out. And in panic, we make bad decisions. Right. Make very bad decisions in panic. Um, so understand that when you go into a deficit, not everyone, but most people are going to lose some initial physical weight. I usually find this doesn't happen the most with people who only train when they get into a deficit. There are some people that only train when they're losing weight, you know. So in, in those kind of individuals who, who only embark upon training when they go into a deficit, this isn't necessarily always the case because they have an inflammation response or um, a decrease in water rate from just the actual physical training changes. So sometimes that's not always the case. But most people will lose physical weight from going into deficit because of sheer lack of food volume, um, lack of glycogen storage, and water loss and dehydration and things like that that come into play when we enter into deficit. So understanding that whatever physical weight you lose in the beginning, uh, and to some degree some physical weight you lose along the way too, it's going to come back on when you come uh, back into a maintenance state to some degree because it's physically more food. Uh, there's also hormonal and electrolyte rebound effects that come into play that sometimes can be short-term extra weight that will go away, but it might come on initially. So understanding that weight fluctuations are something that can take place and that there's some degree of weight loss that uh, you are going to regain again um, that shows physically as well. This isn't going to be just scale weight that you change. It's going to kind of soften up your look a little bit. There are going to be certain things sometimes that um, 
may give you appearance of, of le- looking a little less lean because your water weight is decreased. And there's sometimes you can play with that water weight and glycogen effects, obviously, uh, for stage manipulation and, and uh, pump and swollenness. But even that eventually uh, will give way to um, just a little bit of a less lean look, a little bit of a softer look that happens over time. So you're, you're going to look different from a depleted state. You just will look different. You're not going to look the same. A depleted individual, a dieting individual, a deficit individual is never going to look the same as a fed individual. I personally find that a fed individual looks better. (laughs) I find they look healthier. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) They look healthier. They look more full um, in their muscles. They have... Happier. uh, They look happier. They're happier. Uh, They have more uh, youth to their face. Um, in, in generally speaking, a individual who is fed and set maintenance, I, I feel has a better physical appearance and glow to them than a depleted and gaunt individual. <laughs> and I think that it is something that you should register. Um, leanness does not equal victory and depleted yes. does not equal victory. So, um, these things need to be understood. Uh, and I think that your chances of not going into bad territories is understanding, you know, that as like a factor, um, I think uh, another important issue, or a, a three issue, if you will, I don't even know if these are things that should be numbered, but what the heck, we're going to do it anyway, is not being afraid of carbohydrate intake. I understand that people have different allergy reactions or different sensitivities or like different types of nutrient value in their diets. That's great. I don't care if it's in vegetables, sweet potatoes, bread, corn, pasta. I don't care what it's in. I don't care what your carbohydrates come in. That's for your own personal what have yous. I I think that we are getting a little too carried away with clean eating and and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think some people take it too far. Um, But um, I don't really care the sources. I mean, try and get as much nutrient. I I always say to not be afraid of what food is going to be due to you, but instead focus on what food can do for you and just leave it at that. Um, So, uh, um, having, but having carbohydrates present, um, if, especially if you train, I think is, is very important. Um, it is, it is very needed and it's where a lot of people run into trouble. That does not mean that there aren't people that can benefit from ketogenic based diets or cycles or some people who do, do better on less carbs or more carbs than others. It is very individual. Um, but, but I, I implore people to play. And experiment for extended periods of time with different carbohydrate levels and see how it makes them feel and see how they respond to it. Because there is, um, if you have, for example, been restricting carbohydrates for an extended period of time and then you reintroduce them back to your system, even your level of enzyme function has been decreased in metabolic adaptation. You will literally not digest carbohydrates or certain foods in general. The the same can apply to dairy and and other types of foods. Of foods, but you literally will not digest things as easy, and you you literally have to retrain how well you digest certain foods because your body will adapt. It happens pretty quickly, um, but you are talking about a, a a couple of days to a week span of time that usually has to take place, and for some individuals, it can be longer with different types of food that they have to kind of get reacclimated a little bit from an in, enzyme uh, performance activity. It's not unheard of. It's not weird. It does not mean just because you. Uh, eat carbohydrates and maybe get a little gassy or bloaty, that that's going to stay that way. I would implore someone to give themselves a a little bit of time to see if that is something they desire to do. Um, And also understand that uh, carbohydrates are very easy to overeat. 
and that simply overeating <laughs> can lead to issues um, with, with bloating or retention or things like that. You also gain more glycogen, more water. Uh, you carry more water for carbohydrates, uh, and, and that is going to be retained. So that is going to change your physical weight, and it's going to change your physical appearance, and those things need to be understood as well. Not bad, just different, and should be noted. So these kinds of things come into play, um, but I think if you're going to be a trainee, and if you're going to lift especially, uh, and you're going to push the boundaries of what your muscle and strength can do, I think carbohydrates should play a role in your diet. Um, I think it's, it's very sensical, and I think unless you have specific issues or problems in which they should not, you should see how much and how it works in and not let fear be your guide, but more so your actual results. And that's my issue. A lot of you are like, oh, you're trying to shove carbohydrates down people's throat. No, 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 no. Um, but I see so much fear mongering, and I see so many of the decisions why people do not eat carbohydrates are based upon illogical or fear-based decisions instead of what is actually happening to them. They've read an article. They've read a report. Something scared them. They think they can only lose fat doing this or that and the other. That's why I like to make a specific point, not to beat down what someone really truly does benefit from in their diet or uh, their behavior. So trying to make that clear. But... Uh, I think that that's very important. Um, I think that keeping training moderate, number four, is very important. Uh, doing only what it is you need to do in a deficit. Understanding that your body is going to break down and it can only do so much and you're asking for it to try and push a bunch of PRs and a really aggressive deficit. You're asking for it by trying to do extreme conditioning training in a very uh, uh, severe deficit. Um, you need to look at the training that you need. If you're going for body composition goals... I do not understand why you're trying to train as if that you're um, getting ready to try out for a combine. I don't, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense for me. Like, I don't understand why you're doing really aggressive hit, uh, 30-minute interval kettlebell swings and plyo box jumps and all these. I'm not talking about for fun or pace, but I'm talking really driving yourself into the ground um, when you're merely trying to look good in a cocktail dress a couple weeks from now. Like, it doesn't doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it, I think your training needs to fit the goals and your training needs to fit your nutrition. Your training needs to fit your caloric level. All of these things need to come into play. The more you try and get away with something, the more your body's not going to let you. And it will drag you down to do its bidding one way or another. Um, and usually what I find that way is breaking you down to the point to where binging starts to take place and it becomes on-season, off-season, and off-season is code for binging and out of control with diet. <laughs> and that is a very common behavior and reaction because you can only do so much to your body before it's like, I, I need to be replenished, I need to be refed, I, I, I need a break and recovery from this. And since most people do not have the wires or mindset uh, for extreme disordered behavior in the aspect of anorexia or taking it very far, they will respond with a very normal, it's an extremely normal response in the face of starvation or deprivation. We will hoard. <laughs> we will hoard and we will consume for the fear that that will take place again. It is an evolutionary basic response. It is a biological response. It is absolutely normal. And it is something you are triggering and setting into place by doing extreme things to yourself. And um, not that it can't happen with just deficits, but when you throw the training in there, when you throw the training in like that and you're really aggressive with it, it really does amp up the response. And it really does amp up the physical stress that you're going through, the recovery need, et cetera, and things like that. So, um, 
I, I think that that's like a good little little come in uh, where they all kind of come together but um I think if you look at all those things and you kind of moderate all that activity and uh and and you keep that kind of a an outlook on how you approach your dieting situation you will absolutely avoid going into any sort of quote-unquote starvation mode or having any sort of really severe metabolic adaptation issues um and you can go through a deficit at a more paced and successful rate. You'll have less issues with water retention, rebound. Um, you'll have a more logical approach to your diet and deficit. And you will, look at, you will look at losing body fat if it's something you even need to achieve. <laughs> you will look at losing body fat um, as more of a, a stage of, yes, I'm in a deficit and I'm right now trying to pull body fat stores to achieve a manipulation of what I want to physically look like. Or, no, right now I am not. Right now I'm in a stage of trying to replenish my body. That does not mean free for all and making up for the deprivation I has caused. It just means I am taking care of my body and I'm replenishing it and I am going through a period of recovery. Uh, and when I feel I'm finished with that recovery and I have achieved what I need to achieve, I will jump back into that deficit if need be and hit another round. If I do not, then yay, uh, I'll <laughs> just do things when I need to and maybe do a little maintenance cleanup every once in a while. No big deal. And that's a healthy mindset of body composition or manipulation. That's a really healthy mindset. Um, and I think that it's one that we should all achieve for. Easier said than done, of course, but I think it's one we should all strive for. No, I totally agree. And those tips are absolutely amazing. And like the whole deficit thing, I guess I'm a little bit like at this point in my life, I've, I've done the deficit several times. But I mean, as our as the fitness and health uh, community grows, people are coming up with new ways to create or new ways to calculate your deficit. Sure. And I, 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 it confuses me because every single day is different. Like, you know, I don't know how these calculators can get, decide for you online, like what you need and what constitutes as a deficit. But there's like there's the um, typical old-fashioned ways to learn your deficit um, mm -hmm. of the calculators, like the Harris Benedict, whatever. Yep. Then there's like the actual monitoring your um, daily activity, which mm -hmm. is pretty technical, but sounds much more legit. legit. And then there's yeah. like the the recent, um, oh man, what's it called? The, is it eat to grow? Have you heard of that? Yeah. 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 The eat to grow calculator, which is like, if you go there, it'll give you a number you've probably never even seen before. And like, yeah. like that's where it all gets so confusing. And I have a feeling some people, a lot of people that listen to my podcast aren't necessarily interested anymore in, you know, the calories and deficits, which is awesome. Sure. I'm not, I'm not necessarily either, but for some people who might be a little bit interested just in increasing their own knowledge, like how it, how do they come up with these different numbers? If you go on one thing, you'll get like, on oh, one, I'll absolutely get into this. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll absolutely get into this. Very um, curious. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, I talk about this and if I talk about the understanding of, of activity uh, calculation, because I, it's, from a geeky standpoint, I find it very fascinating. From a um, uh, implementation standpoint, I find it very frustrating. So um, I'll, I'll approach it like this. There is absolutely no way, and this needs to be completely understood by all, there is absolutely no way to tell a free-living individual what their caloric burn is. And what free-living means is an individual who is just living their life 
they're going to work, they're going home, they're going to the gym, etc. They can wear activity monitors, they can wear heart rate monitors, they can wear anything they want. But there is no way to tell a free-living individual exactly what they are burning. You can give them estimates, you can give them best guesses, but there is absolutely no way to identify that. Even in a metabolic ward registered reading study sense in which that an individual is literally tubed and and uh, covered in, from head to toe in in plastic uh, room environment in which that everything they're they're doing is being monitored sweat air breath everything even that's not going to be ter- perfect because it has to be registered against something else i mean it, it, you're kind of asking for this mythical thing to be matched up to this this calculated thing. There, there is no real true way to discover this. We have estimates the best that we can, but, but it's still never going to be purely accurate. But that will be a lot more accurate. It'll be a lot more accurate than what a free-living person is, is going to be able to express, obviously. So trying to get any sort of number that is correct, meaning true in value, you're going to make yourself crazy. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it or understand that as being a thing because there's absolutely no way science can do that. At least not right now. Not that, And I can't imagine in my lifetime it'll ever be truly able to do something like that by the actual number. You know, within a range of guessing, sure, but by the actual number, it's not going to happen. So if we understand that, if we understand that, then we have to look at what actually makes up caloric burn. Like what makes it up? Well, the food intake we have makes it up, uh, meaning that the amount of food that we eat is going to be relative to, uh, to some degree, uh, the level of caloric burn we have because we have literally, we have to break down that food and we have to transport it to things. And, and sometimes the more food that you eat, the more you burn. Uh, different types of food can have different burn levels. This is minor. A lot of people focus on this a lot. This is a very minor level of our caloric burn, but it is something that affects it. It's called TEF, or the thermic effect of food. And we have our basic metabolic rate, which is like, what you need to, to beat your heart, to move your lungs, to have general brain function. If you were at bed rest, what you would basically be going off of is your basic metabolic rate. Uh, if you were having any sort of liquid fluids or, or any sort of amount of small fluids uh, or, or small amount of eating food, you're going to have that, which will contribute to a little bit of burn, but it's not going to be much. And obviously, you're not going to need that much because you're not going to move that much. The other burn comes from... General non-exercise activity or subconscious activity, meaning thumping your foot or, or tapping, uh, you know, moving your hands around subconsciously, not realizing how much you fidget, to walking to the mailbox, um, just general life movement, that kind of caloric burn is going to take place. And then you have specific exercise-based activity, um, which is going to be um, uh, based upon if you actually physically train that activity is going to be added to it. So all of that makes up your daily caloric burn. That's a lot of factors, okay? That is a lot of factors that make up your daily caloric burn. And each of those factors can be altered or changed based upon everything that's happening, based upon what your job is, how much you train, how much you don't train, how much you fidget. Um, All of these things are going to affect that. So you think a general calculator can come up with that number for each individual person? No. Of course not. It is a good general guide, but uh, you could be a five foot four woman who is 130 pounds and you have a sedentary office job, but you train five days a week 
and it can spit out a ridiculously high number because you train five days a week. Or you could be a five foot you know, four woman who's 130 pounds. You're a mom. You volunteer uh, at dog rescue. You, uh, <laughs> you cook all your own foods. You like to hang out with your friends after work uh, for social settings. But you don't train and you can burn more than that woman who works out five days a week. You can burn way more in a day. So there are these factors, there are these lifestyle factors, and there are these things that, that online calculations, they don't always kind of get. And what I always tell people is you have to look at your life variables, your movement variables, and you have to try to take that into account. Now, I like activity monitors, and I like them because I think they give you a better idea of what your activity is. I would give someone an activity monitor over an online calculator or a quiz. Cal- I even have quiz calculators. But I always tell someone, you want to get a better idea? Get some sort of activity monitor. Is it correct? Is it the true value and number of what your metabolic rate is? No. To think it is, you're messing with your head and don't even go there. However... Could it give you a much better understanding of what your daily activity is, how much you move in a day, um, what your kind of lifestyle habits are, what you deserve (laughs) or don't deserve in the aspect of food or or caloric activity? Absolutely it can. I think it can be uh, heartbreaking at times. Uh, It can be frustrating to see that you can... You can walk around uh, at a mall and do some gardening and cook some food and burn more calories than going to the gym for 45 minutes. And sometimes people don't understand that movement, that life is movement, that, that living life is activity, it's burn. And some people will say to me, you know, it was the weirdest thing. Like I was on vacation. I walked around like for, for days doing shopping and looking at things and yeah, I, I ate all this amazing food and I came home and, and I had like lost a pound. Yeah, you were moving the whole time and normally you sit in an office all day and just go to the gym at night. It's going to alter things, that daily life movement. It's going to affect things and a lot of people don't realize how important that is to understanding your activity factors and your daily caloric burn. So if we understand that, if we understand how all those things kind of affect our daily caloric burn, and we start to look at these calculators and we start to look at all this stuff and like, well, I don't know how much that makes sense to me. You have to really fit into a very specific kind of category of person for that stuff to line up perfectly for you. One calculator could make you absolutely obese by eating what it is it tells you to eat. And another one can keep you starved. So it, you, you really need to look at yourself. And this is where becoming an individual and understanding that your life is your life and your behavior is your behavior is the most important thing that you can understand to control your body fat levels or your health or your mental sanity because it's what you've earned. It's what you've trained for. It's what you eat. It's what you do that matters. It has nothing to do with anybody else. Nothing. Like you might look at someone and think, oh, you know, I really want to look like them. I really want to have their body. Uh, they go to the gym and they train five days a week and they're eating 2,000 calories and we're roughly the same size. So that's what I should be doing. Eh, wrong. You can't do that. You can't do it. You need to go, what am I moving? What am I eating? What am I doing? What do I like to do? What do I not like to do? What do I respond well to? You have got to individualize it. And you've got to understand it the best you can. You can keep journals and try and understand activity movement from there. You can get monitors. That's fine. Um, A lot of people think the monitors can inspire negative or OCD kind of behavior, which I agree it can. But 
at some point, intuition isn't, it doesn't always work. I would love it if everybody can just be like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to eat a little less here and I'm going to train more and then I'm going to refeed and everything will be all good. Some people, they can just kind of eyeball it like that and everything's fine, but not everybody can. Some need some sort of starting point. And I think that activity monitors can be a very good starting point for that because it, it can make things very realistic. I think going on some sort of eat more to lift more or some of those calculators can be just downright dangerous. It's, I think it's eat to perform. That's what I, yeah, I, said, I, said I know. eat to grow, it's, but it's perform. I know. And like, I'm not, I'm not knocking on them because a lot of what they're talking about, a lot of what those refeed places, a lot of those like, Oh, you need to embrace your body, not torture yourself. Like I am not knocking this. Okay. I think it's great. I think we absolutely should do it, but there is a danger to it. There's a danger to it because a lot of those people and, and particularly, I'm sorry, but a lot of small women end up gaining a lot of fat really fast because they're told that they need to eat 3,000 calories a day. No, they don't always need to do that. They don't because they're office workers or maybe they move, but they don't move that much and maybe they train, but it's not pumping out those kind of numbers. And what they really needed to learn to do was just take a moderate approach, make sure they're refed and taken care of and go into a deficit that's intelligent of course that's not suffering them no that's not being overly dogmatic of course not i don't believe in that but the deficits still need to happen and we're almost creating this shift now in the industry in which that that's becoming taboo that being in a deficit is this horrible thing that you're not supposed to do well i hate to tell everybody this but it's physically what has to happen it's oils of fat trapped in your body it's not coming out any other way it's not. It's not going to come out. You've got to be in need to use it. It's storage. You've got to be able to use that storage. You have to be in a deficit. How you get there, oh my God, there's so many ways we can go about doing that, of course. But you, you still have to be in that deficit. I am of the camp that thinks that the best way to go about it is just understanding what you need to the best that you can. Not obsessing over it, not thinking that any number is in any way law. But understanding it the best you can and then manipulating it from there and then just taking breaks as you need it, going into a deficit when you need it, being moderate about it, not putting so much pressure on yourself and just chipping away, chipping away at what you need and, and understanding things for what they are. I find the more that you try and get caught up in a lot of that eat to move culture or refeeding culture in which that people are like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to pack on the weight and lift. Fine. But <laughs> I find more than not, a lot of these women end up putting on a lot of unnecessary fat in the name of trying to take care of themselves. And then six months down the road, they're, they're so frustrated and crying and upset because they thought that they were just trying to take care of themselves and someone told them to do that. And now you know what they have to do? They have 10 extra pounds of fat they have to lose if they want to, of course. But they have 10 extra pounds of fat that they have to lose that they did not have to put on in the first place. If someone would have just told them, hey, Figure out what you really need. Don't follow my guidelines of what I think that you need because I've only studied this on myself or really type A people that run around all day long. It's not fair to do that to them. They're comparing and contrasting themselves to people in which that's not always realistic. And you're putting people in danger and you're putting them in a position in which they have to gain a lot of weight when they didn't need to. And that frustrates me because I'm like, I totally believe in embracing your body and, and saying, I believe in saying, screw it all together. Hey, you want to be, you know, a size 16, but train fine. Go for it. I don't care. I'm not one of those people that thinks everybody needs to be a size two. I assure you. But like, I don't think though 
that telling a woman who has certain expectations of what she thinks she can physically achieve that she needs to put on a ton of weight because that's embracing her body is the right thing to do. I don't think that that's right. And I think that that's giving misinformation on a different level that's just as dangerous as the other avenue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I know that's kind of maybe going to push some buttons, me saying that. But I don't think that it's, Ill, that here's the thing, I don't think that it's ill intent. I don't think that the eat to grow or eat to perform or whatever, I don't, I don't think that that's their intent. I, I don't think that, like, that's anybody's intent to, like, make women gain fat. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that. But I think that's what ends up happening because a lot of this fitness industry culture is, well, this worked for me. So it'll work for you or this worked for my clients that are of this very specific, like particular nature. So it'll work for you. I don't believe in that. I think, hey, figure out what works for you because it's different for everybody. And and I think if you guide by that, you're going to end up you're going to end up landing in a place that you need to be a lot quicker and you're going to run into a lot less frustrations. Yeah. And there's, there's also some like on the eat to perform and I, I was following them for quite a while. So I'm a fan too. Like I, I mean not too, but like I, I am not bashing them at all. Yeah. And yeah. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. I'm not bashing it. Yeah. Me and you are on the same page. Like we both respected, but what we're saying is that like there are some features on that calculator that can be really misleading. For example, on one of the things, you know, you put in your height, you put in your weight and then you click very active, moderately active, not active. Like that, what does that mean? What does very active <laughs> mean? Like that's, that's a very, very <laughs> broad scale there. It, you could, and those formulas, generally speaking, like when you, even the Harris Benedict and things like that, they, they go very active as someone that trains five to six days a week. Well, heck, I can train seven days a week, but if I'm writing the rest of the time, I still don't burn anything. You know, if I'm having like a, and, and I always explain it from a very personal antidote standpoint, because I have put every sort of monitor you can imagine, and I understand I'm very technical, I can get it, but, um, you know, I can train, I can specifically train, I mean, bust out some cardio, some weights, walk my dog, um, and, 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 and have a, what a lot of people I think would consider an active day, and burn nothing. Because I'm I'm nothing. I'm a little five foot four, you know, on maybe one thirty sometimes. Yeah, like I don't burn anything. I don't I don't there's it doesn't take a lot for this. And I also have a very laid back personality. When I sit in a chair, I sit in a chair. I'm you're, not up. Wait, you're you five know? foot four? I am. What? I know. I, I, know. Like, <laughs> I need to meet you because I have this totally, I pictured you like, I pictured you like a five foot nine Canadian. And like, I am so <laughs> off in so many different directions. Five foot nine Canadian. I do real, really tall shoes. I have a Napoleon complex. So <laughs> I do wear, I, I'm high, I'm, I, I have an illusion of height, uh, but in reality, yeah, like I'm only five four. But, um, and my, I don't even know exactly what I weigh right now, but I, I, yeah, I, it's somewhere in the 125 to 130 range. You know, I, I have muscle, but I don't have a ton, ton of it. Uh, I, I, I like a certain kind of training, you know, whatever, but I don't burn anything. And trust me, I eat. So I don't not burn anything because I don't eat enough to, you know, recover my metabolism. I have to keep myself from eating because I, I have no problem with eating. Uh, I just don't burn much on the days that I don't move. Now, that being said, at 5'4", and like let's just say 130 for just conversation, if I have a day where I'm running around, I'm going to the store, I'm going uh, shopping, I'm doing some cooking, I'm hanging out with my friends, I go out dancing maybe, some, some drinking, some partying, some having a good time with training. Uh, and, and by the way, I'd walk my dog twice that day. 
I can burn 3,000 calories. So it could be very active, but it just, it depends. It depends for one individual person, it depends. Mm -hmm. So you think it does not depend for a whole subset group of people? Come on. You know, it, you have to be careful. That's why with my, and I'm not, this isn't plugging me. This is just saying like I practice what I preach. With, with clients or individuals or even with my books, I do the best I can to try and help people understand that. And I try and, and help them understand that it is very individual. And it's why it's really easy for me to troubleshoot problems that people are having or to understand where we're at, uh, understanding what needs to take place or happen because if if you have a real conversation with someone and they really understand where they're at, what they move, what they do, what they're taking in, all these things, there's no illusions. Everyone's just being open and honest with what's happening. Then it's really easy to solve the problem. It's really easy to solve the problem. It's really easy to see where the problems are. And, and so if you approach it like that, uh, <laughs> It doesn't mean it solves the psychological issues that come into play because that's its own demon. Mm -hmm. But at least the like physicality issues, the technical data of that, if it, it really helps you figure out how to tweak and what. And I don't ever have a problem with that compliance. That's a whole different game. That's a whole different animal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and a cycle, you know, like it is compliance and the psychological pressures and adhering to a diet and uh, all this kind of. That's that's a completely different animal, and it's why. Wow. Um, it's why none of us will, and I, I don't mean this in a, in a cocky way, I just, it's why none of us will ever be out of a job. Um, and, and it's why a lot of, I see a lot of fitness professionals, they like get scared when people figure stuff out. But it's like, no, because that psychological animal, it is, a, it is vicious mm -hmm. and it's not going to change anything. So I try and give everybody everything because people still need help and they still need motivation and, and, uh, and guidance and all those kinds of things. And that's where... That's that's where I, I I like to come in. That's that's where that's where I like us to be is is planning and programming and figuring out that angle and not saying, oh well, you're only going to lose weight with me because you're going to eat this particular you know special diet that removes these special carbohydrates and you're going to do this special thing at this special time and and everything's going to be magic and I have the only formula. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that's not that's not me. Mm -hmm. That's not what it is, and it's not what works anyway. And that shows. It shows that you really want people to understand bio individuality and like stop yes. following just the fact. Bio individuality. I like that. Yeah. I'm gonna steal that. Isn't that a good you word? just got that. You got that stolen. Is that yours? Oh, I wish yours? it was mine. Oh, wish is that somebody else's? Can I steal that? Because that's fantastic. I know it's great. You know, I think where I first learned that was um, when I was doing the Institute for the. Um, Institute for the Integrative Nutrition Certification. Ah, I think they use ah, that word a few times, but it really word. stuck with me. It really stuck with me, and I use it all the time. So you can have it. It's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good word. It is. Well, that leads me to my last question. We, I could seriously talk to you forever, but we've gone a little bit over the hour. Oh, so what? Who cares? But well, that never happens when I'm on. <laughs> I seriously just had a podcast release that was an hour and 45 minutes. I did you? Fantastic. It was an, an awesome guest, but I probably made like, I probably said five sentences and he was great and just talked forever and it was awesome, but it ended up going to an hour and 45 minutes, but uh, it was awesome. But anyways, um, last question for you, and this goes really well with what we're talking about. If you could give someone one tip to strengthen their mind-body connection, uh, what, would that, what would that tip be for you? Oh, that's such a good question. 
I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna have the best answer for this after we get off the phone. Just so um if I had to give someone um I think I think uh I'm gonna go with acceptance. I'm mm. gonna go with acceptance. And um I think that it's very I'm I'm I'll elaborate as to why, but I think acceptance is is very is very important across the board. I think accepting uh you know, and I don't think that acceptance has to equal settling. I want to make that distinction because I do not believe in settling. And anyone who knows me listening to this probably just laughed because I've given so many late night drunken rambles to my friends. I'm like, do not settle. Like, don't. Like, don't do it. Like, don't settle. Like, life is waiting for you. Take it. You know, like, I'm that person. Um, so, so I do not believe in settling, but I do believe in acceptance. I do believe in accepting what your body is capable of doing. I do believe in accepting and understanding Um what is good for you, not necessarily what the world demands upon you. Uh, I think accepting your demons, accepting your issues, and embracing them instead of constantly trying to fight them. Um, you know, I, I hate to, um, I hate to to pull from like kind of what's happening right now in in, in media, but I'm I'm massively affected by what happened with Robin Williams. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. I I'm ma- I I was I was. Uh, <laughs> I was an extremely big fan. And um and uh I think that I think that a lot of times a lot of times what what we all battle with and uh and what we all deal with is is the fact that we're we're not perfect. We're not normal. We uh we're all alone and no one feels what we feel and no one understands what we understand and and we have a lot of a lot of loneliness that lives inside of us and anxiety and fear and I think that um I think that if you can, I think one of the best things that you can do, and it's, it is certainly what I struggle with, it is I am not speaking from a, a high horse. I am speaking from someone that's deep in the depths in it. I think that a lot of what um, we could find peace if we could just accept <laughs> that we are who we are and that our goal should be to try to be the best of who we are instead of trying to be somebody else and trying to compete with other people and trying to act as if that we can even do that anyway, and that's an actual reality <laughs> of what can exist, because uh, no one really no one really cares about what you're doing. They care about what, what they're doing, and um, mm-hmm. with the exception of when you're in, you know, in a relationship in which that you're really cultivating love and, and connecting on that kind of level, it's, it's really you against the world, you know, for the most part, and, and it's what you do that matters. It's not what anybody else does, and I think if we can just accept who we are and make our peace with that, uh, that we won't get so panicked because I believe that panic is, 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 is a vicious killer to healthy living. And so I think that if we cannot get panicked and not get so rushed and try and do things so fast or try and do things that aren't fitting to us and just calm down and just breathe a little bit and, and just accept things for, for what they are in the moment and try and make very logical, methodical, and calm changes when we want to and accept the things that we can't change and all those kinds of things that um that I, I think that we'll have a lot more peace and with that peace comes a lot better results in life be it in job body composition love you name it so um i'm gonna go with that that's what i'm gonna go with is acceptance there's just no way that after this podcast you're gonna think of anything better than that because that was seriously <laughs> every time i ask that question the answers just keep getting better and better and i couldn't agree with you more and i'm really happy that you said the robin williams thing because like i 
it just shocks me. I mean, it really shocked me. And when I found out all I could do, I kept saying, no, no, like, no, 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 no. And I was like running around my apartment hysterical, like trying to find my phone so I could call my mom. And it's something that you just, you don't know what people are going through. And if someone had told him, and I'm sure someone did, but just the acceptance and it's okay. It's our, it's okay to not be okay. I think yeah. that's one of the most important things is it's okay to not be okay. And that's something that can be worked through and there needs to be more compassion for yourself and for your body. And we're so human. Like we are so incredibly human and to be human means to not be perfect and chasing after perfection in any kind of matter or any kind of way is just a battle we can't win. So acceptance is extremely important for who you are, for what you look like, for the relationships you have, for what you want to eat, like for how many calories you have in a day, down to the tiniest thing, just accept it and move on, you know? Yeah. So great answer. I loved that. That was a good note to end it on. And um, last but not least, where can, I know I've already said it, but where can people find you? Um, just leaphill.com. I have nothing to plug. Just just <laughs> leaphill.com. You can, you can find, if you like what you hear, you can find stuff there. You can type my name, Leaphill, in Google. It'll take you somewhere. You know, just leaphill.com. Simple enough. Leaphill.com. Okay. And that's P-E-E-L-E. It is. Interesting it is, last yes. name. And everyone, yes. check out her book, Starve Mode, Fat Loss Troubleshoot, and her cookbook, Body by Eats. Um, seriously, one of the greatest podcast episodes. So thank ah, you for coming Thank you on. very much. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. All right. I'll see you later, Lee. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening, friends. I'm Maddie Moon, and you have been enjoying the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to rate and review it in the iTunes store as well as subscribe. Also, please remember I'm glad to continue the conversation on my website, mindbodymusings.com, where you can also sign up for my free ebook, How to Love Your Body Again 10 Easy Steps to Stop Sacrificing and Start Living. I created this book to help everyone that struggles with body image, dieting, overtraining, and negative self esteem to learn how to not only accept who you are, but love who you are. This is coming from an ex-fitness model and bikini competitor, so trust me, I know what it's like to have those struggles and to want to be rid of them. So please, if any of that sounds good, head on over to moonfitness.net and sign up. Thanks for listening!